So for all of you that don't know, this is Christy Raposa. We're excited to have her teach today. Um, her daughter Chelsea's right here, just so you can make the connection. <laughs> all right, it's all yours. to touch much because I might just knock everything over. <laughs> this is not my most natural place to be. Um, so, but I thank you ladies actually for giving me this privilege to be here um, and to talk about something that I absolutely love. I love the word of God and I love Jesus. Um, and I can say, um, some of you might remember a couple of weeks ago, I was actually supposed to be up here. And um, I ended up getting sick, and Priscilla and Lisa stepped in and did a fabulous job. I thought that I was going to get out of it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I had actually prepared for that message for three months. <laughs> three months from, like, November, December, January, and then, boom, I get sick. I mean, isn't that the Lord, right? He's like, hmm. So this one I had an, a week and a half. Um, but I learned so much from the last time of that he just wants me to be me. And um, so I hope and pray that everything that I have to say, uh, that it will make, it, the Lord will speak to you in some way. Um, there is four chapters here, 25 all the way through 28. Uh, it felt like four, maybe that's only three. <laughs> but uh, it was way more than I could cover. My mind wants to teach on absolutely everything. I couldn't do it. Donna uh, Nelson, who's no longer here at Creekside, she actually wrote The Deeper Reflection, and I felt like she did a sweet job of kind of touching a little bit on all four chapters. But I'm going to focus in on one main takeaway. I'll try to pull in a couple of other things, um, but that's where I'm going to land on is what stood out to me the most. Um, so let's go ahead. I just need to pray just to center myself one more time. Oh, Lord. I look out at all of these faces, and I just thank you for each of these ladies, Lord, because you have called each one of them by name. We might all be in different places, different stages with you. We might have just met you. We might have known you for a really long time. But we need you, and we need to know more about you. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take my inadequate ability to speak forth anything that could be clear, and I pray that you would make it be what these ladies' hearts need to hear about you today. Lord, I also just pray that we would fall more deeply in love with you because of what you had to say to us. So thank you for what you're going to do today. I pray that you would also remove distractions. Lord, we've come in here with so many things, and right now we need to just be about you. So help those things to fall off of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so slide one. I titled my um, message here today, Desire Drives Decision. I think as we continue to uh, walk through this passage, you're going to see why. There's a lot of desires going on in these people's hearts. <clears throat> so I want to talk about the big context because that's always, always important. So what we've been doing in Genesis especially since January, is we're tracing this promised blessing that God came and gave to Abraham, right? Um, it's actually started back in the beginning of Genesis, but our biggest need was we got separated from God, and we needed to be brought back into that relationship. So God called a man, 
um, to be his, and then he made a promise to him that through him he was going to create a nation, and through that nation he was going to bring forth the Savior, what we needed to come back to God. So we're tracing that blessing as we look at all of these people and what they're doing. So it started with Abraham in chapter 12, and for 12 more chapters we have been studying his life and how he became to us an example of faith, okay? So for Abraham's sake, God now is continuing the blessing to the offspring after him. So Abraham died happy at a ripe old age of 175, and the scripture says Abraham died and God blessed Isaac. So today we open up with Genesis 25:19 with Isaac and Rebekah. <clears throat> so just a reminder from last week, Abraham was really, really specific that his son must get a bride only from his family and not from the wicked people of the land of Canaan. See, Abraham valued this blessing, and he was protecting it, right? So he sends out his servant with instructions, and the servant sought the Lord in prayer. The Lord directed his steps. It was a beautiful picture of faith and obedience to get God's purposes um, fulfilled. So that's the way it should have been done. Last week was a great example of that. This week gets a little crazy, doesn't it? Uh, it's not the pattern for us to follow. Um, God's purposes are still going to get fulfilled, but through a bunch of broken people. Um, but what I loved about that is God doesn't have a formula. He remains the hero of the story, even when he's dealing with broken people. He can use anyone. So we have this husband and wife that God has brought together, and now it's their turn to have a baby. But what's the first dilemma that they have? They're barren, right? Who does that sound like? Sarah and Abraham. So a very familiar story. And I just throw this in here for those who are Bible students. I tell my group all the time, where are you? Uh, patterns and repeated words are everywhere in the scripture. And they're so fun to look for. And the more that you see them, the more you start putting the dots together. God has a purpose. He's leaving clues for us to understand more about him and more about his plan of redemption. So <clears throat> through these, these two families being the same thing, having this barrenness, God taught us that he's the one who's in control, and he also is the one who has power to bring life out of what is barren. So let's get started. 20 years, barren couple, God's blessing has to go forward. So slide two, Isaac prayed hard to God for his wife because she was barren. God answered his prayer, and Rebecca became pregnant. But the children tumbled and kicked inside her so much that she said, if this is the way it's going to be, why go on living? She went to God to find out what was going on. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. So Rebecca does the right thing. She goes to the Lord with her pain and her desperation, and she gets a prophetic word straight from God. Wow, I don't know if, if she was expecting an answer when she went, let alone the, an answer like that, right? Not only one child, but two children. And you have to think, how could this have been upsetting to like hear these, there's all of this turmoil going on inside of you, and they're going to continue to have that turmoil. Uh, Priscilla had mentioned this word struggle here. What she was experiencing, for those of you who have just had babies, <laughs> it was so intense that in a sense, she really did think that she was going to die. Um, so what an, what an amazing way that how God uses things to give us pictures of what's happening in the future. Um, so now, 
this is my own thoughts here. The scriptures don't tell us, and commentators might say things different, but to me, I kind of think Abraham, I mean, Rebecca, took all this information to Isaac and told him, don't you? I think that she probably even told Jacob and Esau somewhere down the road. Um, we don't know for sure, but there is no scriptural evidence that she kept it a secret. Um, it's just an important thought to consider because as we get down to chapter 27, I know one of the questions I had was, did Isaac know when he went ahead and attempted to give that blessing to Esau? But let's break down what God said to Rebecca. It's, his message was really specific. The twins in her womb were of two utterly different and antagonistic temperaments. The struggle which had begun in her womb would continue throughout their lives and throughout the histories of their nations. <clears throat> now they go on to be, Jacob will become the nation of Israel and Esau will become the nation of the Edomites. So we're seeing God, God's word happens as he says. The Lord was also very specific in his reply that the older shall serve the younger. The younger son would become stronger than the older and would finally prevail in the end. So remember, one of these boys has to carry on the blessing of the messianic line and inherit the promises of the Abrahamic covenant. So it's crystal clear here that God tells Rebecca that his covenant would be with the younger son and not the older. Okay, so mental note, God determined that Jacob would be the recipient of the blessing and birthright, even in the womb, before he ever did anything, before either of them ever did anything. There's a great cross-reference to that in Romans chapter 9, but that's, again, a whole other time of study. <laughs> uh, so that much we know. Jacob ends up with the blessing, but not without a lot of drama. So let's talk a minute about the idea of blessing and birthright. In that culture, it was customary that the father would uh, pass the birthright down to the oldest son. And the birthright would have been a double portion of the father's inheritance. Um, it would make him head over the family, both physically and spiritually. But did you notice? God's turning things upside down. <laughs> he's going against the cultural norm, and he is beginning a consistent pattern now of blessing going to the younger son. And in a sense, he already started that with Isaac and Ishmael, right? Ishmael was Abraham's oldest, Isaac the youngest. So we'll see this pattern continue in Genesis. He is sovereign, and he decides. And trust me, there's another picture here. God always does things for a reason. So we're going to look now at verse 27 and 28, and it's going to give us a little bit closer look at these individuals. Um, significant time, again, has passed. They are adult men at this point. Isaac was 60 when the twins were born, so at this point it could be like another 20 years. So um, verse 27 and 28 reads, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. These two sentences give us a lot of information that can help us understand in the end what drove these people to do what they did. What do we learn about Esau? Well, to be skillful at anything, you have to spend a lot of time doing it, right? <laughs> so being a man of the field here didn't mean that he was taking care of sheep. Esau was out in the wild field. He was hunting game. He was very good at it. He had a taste for adventure and being away from the home. So this description actually of Esau kind of made me think of Cain. Um, just a thought. But with the wealth and the herds and the flocks that Isaac had, there was no need for Esau to be hunting game for food. This was just a sport for him, a hobby. Now, Jacob, on the other hand, he's dwelling in tents, giving us a picture of more like an Abraham, caring for flocks, 
a contemplative type, a deep thinker. We could maybe assume he spent time conversing with his mom about the things of God. We see later he has a mind for managing business and family. And I learned that the word describes him as being a plain or a quiet man, but that word could also be translated mature or complete. So Jacob was potentially a, a more refined man. But we still see that Isaac loved Esau more because of his appetite for tasty game, tasty food, um, and maybe him being a manly man. Rebecca loves her homebody, contemplative boy, um, and she hasn't forgotten that God has promised that the blessing goes to Jacob. So things are heating up for this family, right? We've got favoritism, jealousy, some fleshly appetites, differences. So keeping in mind my title, Desire Drives Decisions. So let's look at verses 29 through 34. <clears throat> Here's the picture. This is where we're kind of going to be resting. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was called Edom, which means red. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread, some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. There's a lot of descriptive words and phrases in that conversation um, between these two. But let's focus on that phrase, so Esau despised his birthright. Despise means to look down upon, to disrespect, to have an aversion for. So to regard as negligible, worthless, or distasteful. This is how God chooses to record Esau's feelings towards the blessing of God and the family inheritance. What Esau was despising was no small thing. As we've said, this birthright, it was both physical and spiritual. It was all of Abraham's blessings of a nation, of a land, and ultimately this blessing that the whole world would be blessed through them, but also all the wealth that Abraham had acquired and now Isaac had acquired. Um, so it's, it's an incredibly wealthy family, but Esau's willing to give all this up for one single meal. <laughs> um, look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? He's so short-sighted. So he's living in the moment. He's letting hunger and dramatic desperation drive his next decision. <clears throat> now, Jacob, I, I've heard a lot of people talk about this story, and I think Jacob gets a bad rap here um, for taking advantage of Esau. But it's interesting that scripture does not offer one word of condemnation or criticism of Jacob. In this circumstance, when the opportunity arose, I saw that Jacob, he had the wit and the cunning to act in the moment on what he valued. It's as if he was just waiting for the right opportunity. Maybe he had been asking for the birthright for a while now. We don't know. Uh, but let's be clear. Esau could have said no, right? And he could have gotten a bite of food somewhere else. <laughs> Um, I'm not going to say that Jacob didn't join with his mama and use some pretty deplorable actions to get what he wanted in chapter 27 when they deceived blind old Isaac. <clears throat> but in the end, Jacob seems to be going after the things of God in his own broken way. One thing is very clear. The scripture condemns Esau unequivocally. 
Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now, if you think that that's not enough to convince you that Esau was completely in the wrong here, there's a, the Bible is the best commentary on itself. So in the book of Hebrews, um, we're going to see, in the book of Hebrews is a beautiful letter written to show that Jesus is his superiority over all things and his exhortation after exhortation to pursue Jesus over anyone and anything else. And then in chapter 12, there's this, these warnings. And in 12, 16 to 17, it reads, See to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he, thought, though he sought for it with tears. So if Abraham is described to us and given us as an example of faith, Esau is now an example or the poster child for what we're not supposed to do. <laughs> We know that God has declared Jacob was supposed to get that birthright, but that didn't mean that Esau had to despise it, right? Esau was a part of the family God had formed and chosen. He had opportunity to still walk in the light of these blessings, participate and experience God's love and grace. When he sells his birthright and despises it, we see his heart is turned away from the things of God. He cuts himself off. I love that God never wastes anything, though, because he still uses Esau as a warning and an example to future believers. So in chapter 27, as I referenced a minute ago, when Isaac is old and blind, now he acts upon his misdirected, favored love of Esau and attempts to go against God's plan and give this promised blessing to Esau. We're not sure if he knew what God had told Rebekah or not. But either way, this is a bad commentary on Isaac because Esau had already proven that he had no value for the birthright. He had also proven he didn't care about his parents. So I haven't mentioned this part yet, but he went on and he married the two Hittite women. And he will again go on and marry an Ishmael, um, an Ishmaelite woman as well. So what was Isaac thinking? Again, I just saw that desire, misdirected love, drives our decisions. Rebecca overheard Isaac's plans, and we know she and Jacob, they jump into action, and they come up with a plan to ultimately deceive Isaac and assure that Jacob would receive the blessing over Esau. Now, Rebecca was zealous to see that God's plan was fulfilled. Her method was to take matters into her own hands. But in a sense, Rebecca and Jacob were having to trick Isaac to get that which already belonged to Jacob, right? Um, so <clears throat> Esau had already sold it, and God had already said he should get it. So we don't know if they would have waited and sought the Lord, if the Lord would have done things differently or not, but maybe this was even the way it was supposed to go because of the brokenness that they had. After all that Isaac had experienced in life with his father, Abraham, his victory moment of surrendering himself on the altar to his father, laying him down, seeing God's hand in his life over and over again. It was shocking that over the course of time, as he gets a little older, a son who just hunts tasty game and cooks it for him impresses him so much that he's willing to redirect his priorities and his heart's desires. Um, but doesn't that speak to how over time apathy can set in and we lose our passion? So it's easy to look at these people and be appalled and think, oh, I'd never do that. But boy, we never be so silly as to think we are not prey to the same exact temptations. Let me again read Hebrews chapter 12 from the message this time. I don't think I have a slide for this one, but 
Watch out for the Esau syndrome, trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. You well know how Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessing. But by then, it was too late, tears or no tears. So now is when I start kind of turning it towards us. It's important to ask, if the warning is there, how might we fall into the same pattern today in a spiritual sense? What is my lentil stew? Are there things in my daily life that I value more than my relationship and spiritual blessings? Do I find myself at times irrational and desperate, willing to set aside my relationship with God for a momentary gratification? Praise God, we never lose our inheritance in Christ. Once we are sealed by the Holy Spirit through faith, we are secure. But we can neglect and sometimes even forget about our spiritual inheritance as we get caught up in daily life. We can pursue lesser things that will not ultimately give us real life or the provision that we truly need. While ours today is not the same as Esau's birthright, if by faith, Galatians 3, 26 through 29 tells us, if by faith we've been baptized into Christ, we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So, ladies, we are heirs with Christ, heirs of every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And you can go read those in Ephesians chapter 1. Jesus is our inheritance. He is our blessing. This is a huge reminder, and this, this is where it just really landed for me. <laughs> I think because... I'm just going to stop for a minute and say that I relate so much to Jacob. And I felt like if Jacob could be here today, I can relate to that. It's like because I, can, I know that there was a point in my life before I was even born that God chose me. I went on to live a life that did not really know God, but there was something in me that was always grabbing for it. I didn't know or understand what it was. And then one day, he called me by name, and I felt myself running into his arms. I still didn't know really anything about him. But at that point, he began pulling all of my, I had lived that same life, manipulating, deceptive, sensual, looking for anything and everything that would fix my brokenness. And when I came to him, that's who I still was. But he accepted me for who I was. And then he began just rooting out those weeds of deception and manipulation. And it's taken 30 years, and I'm still bound up in grave clothes. But I want to be able to stand up now and just proclaim that he is so good and so powerful to work in our life. So where am I? <laughs> um, yeah, we, we never lose our inheritance. Um, okay, so the, yes. So my reminder is that we are now living in the day of the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham that his seed would be a blessing to the families of all the earth. It's why I'm standing here in salvation today. In fact, we're living in the fulfillment of the promise God made at Genesis 3.15. 
Jesus has come. He's crushed the head of the serpent. He died for our sins, rose from the dead. He's defeated sin's power over us. Do you remember that beautiful purpose we were created for in Genesis chapter 2? We were made to enjoy God forever, to experience him, to work with him in his creation, to flourish and rule over the earth. Because of Jesus, now there is nothing separating us from a grace-filled, peace-filled relationship with God any longer. His spirit is poured into our hearts, and we never have to be alone. Our inheritance is far greater than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're now invited and able to run back into the arms of our Heavenly Father, back into the garden in a sense to walk with him and talk with him. Prayer, wisdom, guidance, transformation of my brokenness, comfort in suffering, power over sin, the law written on my heart, no more fear, healed relationships, the presence and peace of God is ours now who have placed our faith in Jesus. These things are available to you 24-7. How could we despise this? How could we neglect it or set it aside? Those are the things that we truly need to find life and godliness. We should be guarding and pursuing this gift more than anything else. Well, I know by personal experience, it's easier to do this than you even think, right? How does this happen to us? Well, life is full. I can look in this room and see that you probably are all busy and hurried throughout your days. It's distracting, full of trouble even at times. We have kids, careers, homeschooling, financial goals, financial problems, hobbies, illness, anxiety, depression, family struggles, even exciting goals, just to name a few. All these have the potential to become bigger even in a sense more valuable in our eyes, and we hold them tighter than we do our spiritual blessings or God himself. They end up being a hindrance to our seeing Jesus. They end up controlling our lives. So let me remind you today, he sees all of those things in our lives. God the Father made a way through Jesus that he can be with us in them all, the good and the bad. In fact, we need him in each of those situations. We need a good shepherd to lead us and begin bringing us fully back into the image of God that is whole and at peace to help us see things through the right lens. There's there's another reason that we often neglect or not value our relationship with God. And that's because there's so much that we don't really know about him. We don't know how much he loves us, how we are free to be naked and unashamed again before him without condemnation. We're still learning that our sins no longer separate us. Maybe we haven't experienced him as our healer or comforter yet. We might still fear coming into his presence. We project onto him broken relationships we've experienced here on earth, and we don't yet have trust. So it takes time and intention and life experience to come to know all the amazing things that God is. Those things can have an impact on how we value our relationship and our spiritual inheritance. So the warning is here for us, ladies. We don't want to miss out on what God has for us. It's important then to ask, how can I press into my inheritance in Christ? How can I partake of these divine blessings? What does it look like to experience the fullness of them? Well, I think we need to learn to be intentional daily to remember and to contemplate these blessings we have in Christ. We need to look more deeply into what they even are and what's awaiting us in the future. Reflect often on where you are at personally. Be honest and open before God and others 
about your struggles. Ladies, Jesus is the love that we are longing for. He knows us perfectly and loves us just as we are, and he's ready to love us into wholeness and to transform the broken and hurting places in our heart. He is the safest and most secure place to go, but we must go. We must go to him. So um, slide six, in Ephesians 1, 18 to 19, Paul prays for us. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Paul prayed because we need God's help through his spirit to understand all these spiritual blessings that we have. These aren't like earthly riches. They are spiritually powerful to bring life to that which was dead. But they don't just happen to us like a magic wand being waved over our head. We need to pursue God daily through all kinds of prayer, meditating on his precious words. We need to study his words so that we can learn those things that we don't yet know. Spend time with our brothers and sisters in Christ, confessing, bearing one another's burdens, encouraging and exhorting one another. These are just a few of the things that I, I sat in. Well, a few. I've been talking for, what, 20 minutes now. But <laughs> uh, you can think of, of ways that fit your life personally and uniquely. So question, how are you doing in this area? What value do you place on your spiritual blessing in Christ? Did you even know what your spiritual blessings are in Christ? If we've placed our faith in Jesus' shed blood on the cross, we have been brought back into this sweet fellowship with God and with the family that he's forming. There are many good things to pursue in life. And it wasn't necessarily that hunting game was a bad thing for Esau. It was that he made it the ultimate thing, right? And it caused him to not have a desire for God or his blessing. So that's what we need to keep in mind. Where are our hobbies, our careers, our children, our daily desires for doing life in regards to our relationship with God? So... One more time, desire, what we love, directs everyday decisions just like it did with the family of Isaac. Was there one particular person that you could relate to in that story as I did Jacob? Or are there specific attributes of their life? We'll look one more time at kind of a little sketch of, of each of them. And we can see in Isaac... As he goes off the pages of scripture, he was looked at as an old man, physically weak, no discernment, interested in hunting and eating, loves Esau, but he was prayerful. We had seen that. He had had his time with God. Rebecca, despaired of the lack of children, loves Jacob more than Esau, prayerful, shrewd, cunning, deceptive, but she was zealous for God's word to be fulfilled. fulfilled. Esau, nothing really good said about him, just active, impatient, gluttonous, disrespect, uh, we know where he ended. Jacob, peaceful, not active, obedient to mother. But there we see desirous of the birthright and blessing. I feel like all we have to do is glance towards him. Just glancing toward him is all that it takes for him to say, yes, yes, let me teach you who I am. So a lot can be said about these people. And in your small groups, you'll probably talk all about what they should have done, could have done. Um, but I think it's important to remember that they are real people who were still in the process of growing in the grace and the knowledge of God at that point in their lives, just like you and I are today. 
they actually at this point in their story might not have even been capable of doing things any differently. There is such hidden beauty here for us. God calls broken vessels to become his children, and as they are caught up in his story, they find out their real need for him. They discover their weaknesses, and they're brought to a place of humility and surrender to trust in God's ways instead of their own. Where am I? <laughs> I really, I have said this so many times, I can't believe I'm even having to look at it. Um, They come to experience his grace and power and pursuing love. So Jacob and Rebecca used trickery to accomplish what God said would happen. Maybe they didn't need to do that, but they did. There were consequences. Rebecca and Jacob would never see each other again after this, but God never shamed Jacob or punished him. He doesn't rebuke Rebecca either. Instead, in chapter 28, we see that beautiful experience that Jacob has uh, as a result of seeking after the things of God when he has a dream and encounters God himself. And the Lord stands next to him and proclaims the Abrahamic blessing over his life and promises protection and provision. So Jacob is just beginning a long journey now, like Abraham had, of having his faith developed and his character made new through life circumstances. Abraham and Jacob both have many chapters that display their journey walking with God. Isaac has only a few. He heads off the pages pretty quickly, humbled after being willing to offer the blessing to a man who had no value for it. Esau will experience physical earthly blessing for a little bit, but his descendants will be at odds with Israel, and then they'll disappear. Esau, again, was the only one in this story who was rebuked and given to us as a warning of what not to do. So let's continue to pay attention to that warning. Each generation so far has been marked by repeated failure of bad decisions, putting God's promise at jeopardy. But God remains faithful to turning all their failures into the fulfillment of this plan of redemption. Jesus is our great fulfilled promise. We made it. May we never despise what we have in him. May we grow more and more in the grace and knowledge of what we have and who he is to us and to, into wholehearted devotion, for he alone deserves it. I have one more little thing that I wanted to do, and um, I put a little devotional on your table there. <clears throat> this is a really sweet devotional that I've had for a long time. It's called Come Away, My Beloved. And um, I've given it away to lots of people, um, but it's been my sweet little devotional that literally has enabled me to hear the voice of God speaking directly to me. And so that's what I kind of want to end our time here with today. You can choose to read it along with me, or you can just sit and close your eyes. But the most important thing is I don't want you to hear it coming from me. I want you to hear this as if this is the words of God, the Father, speaking to your heart today. So let's just, if you want, close your eyes. It's entitled The Call of Love. <clears throat> the verse that kind of prompts the whole thing is from Isaiah 33, 6. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation. So now, as if the Father was speaking to you, Oh, my beloved, abide under the, shel the shelter of the lattice, for I have betrothed you to myself. And though you are sometimes indifferent toward me, my love for you is at all times as a flame of fire. 
My ardor never cools. My longing for your love and affection is deep and constant. Tarry not for an opportunity to have more time to be alone with me. Take it. Though you leave the tasks at hand, nothing will suffer. Things are of less importance than you think. Our time together is like a garden full of flowers, whereas the time you give to things is as a field full of stubble. I love you, and if you can always, as it were, feel my pulse beat, you will receive insight that will give you sustaining strength. I bore your sins, and I wish to carry your burdens. You must take the gift of a light and merry heart, for my love dispels all fear and is a cure for every ill. Lay your head upon my breast and lose yourself in me. You will experience resurrection life and peace. The joy of the Lord will become your strength, and wells of salvation will be opened within you. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. I pray now that you would be in each and every group discussion, Lord, and continue to help us flesh out what we need to do. In Jesus' name, amen.